This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Maybe the November election will have a big enough vote for Biden so that it can't be challenged in court. Maybe the Republicans won't dispute the outcome, but maybe they will. We have, we've had other disputed elections in our history. Of course, we had the Supreme Court stopping the count in Florida in 2000, and there was another one, much less well-known, the election of 1876. For some comparisons, we turn to Eric Foner. He taught American history at Columbia for a long time. He's won the Pulitzer Prize, the Bancroft Prize, and the Lincoln Prize for his work, most of which has been about the Civil War era and Reconstruction. His most recent book is The Second Founding, How the Civil War and Reconstruction Remade the Constitution. We talked about it here. He's written widely for the New York Times op-ed page and The Nation, where he's a member of the editorial board. Eric, welcome back. Right. Hello, John. Nice to talk to you. Well, the 1876 election came only 11 years after the end of the Civil War, and the political legacy of the Civil War was still an open question, especially the future of the Southern Republicans, the thousands of black officials who had been elected to state office after black men were given the right to vote by the 15th Amendment and then protected by the occupying forces of the Union Army. Remind us where things stood at the beginning of 1876, in the South and in the North. Well, unfortunately, Reconstruction was waning by 1876. In fact, in that year, there were only three Southern states, uh, South Carolina, Florida, and Louisiana, that was still under the control of the Republican Party and biracial uh, political figures, etc. All the other Southern states were now back under the rule of white supremacist Democrats. Uh, it's worth noting that the parties have sort of uh, exchanged clothes <laughs> over the past <laughs> century and a half. The Democrats were the party of white supremacy back then, the Republicans the party of Lincoln, Emancipation, Reconstruction, and Black Rights. So uh, Reconstruction was waning, uh, but uh, nonetheless, it still existed in some places. And there were these constitutional amendments on the books meant to protect the civil and political rights of black Americans. So when the votes were counted after the 1876 election, although the Republicans had been in power for, what, 16 years, now the Democratic candidate Samuel Tilden clearly won the popular vote. But I've noticed he did not become president. What happened? That can happen, as we know. Uh, however, I must um, add that Tilden only won the popular vote because there was significant uh, voter suppression, violence, intimidation of black voters in many places of the South. In a fair election, uh, Hayes, Rutherford Hayes, the Republican candidate, would certainly have carried uh, more of the southern states and more black people would have been allowed to vote. Nonetheless, yes, the return suggested that Tilden had won the popular vote. Uh, it was in dispute exactly who had won the uh, electoral college vote because for those three states that I mentioned, South Carolina, uh, Florida, and Louisiana, both parties claimed to have carried those states, both claimed to have elected the governor, Two governors were uh, ensconced in each of those states. 
Uh, each one sent a report of the electoral vote of that state up to Washington. So both. So the first question was, which of these reports was legitimate? Who had actually carried those states? Now, the Constitution did anticipate disputed elections and established a procedure by which Congress would deal with problems like this. What was what did the founding fathers say should happen in a disputed election? Uh, I have to disagree with you there, John, which I rarely do. I don't think the Constitution <laughs> is particularly clear about this. Uh, it's it said what would happen if nobody got a majority of the electoral vote. Then the House of Representatives would decide who was president. But in this case, that's not the issue. The issue is which are the legitimate returns? How do you decide who had actually carried uh, these three states? And so Congress went around the Constitution and established something unexpected, or that is say not anticipated by the founders, an electoral commission of 15 uh, members, five from the House, five from the Senate, five from the Supreme Court. And they were supposed to look at the reports from the different states and figure out who had carried those states. And whoever carried those three states was going to have a majority of the Electoral College. Um, it got a little weird because uh, they, basically there were seven Republicans, seven Democrats, and one Justice uh, David uh, Davis of, of Illinois on the Supreme Court who was an independent uh, and it was assumed that Davis would basically pick the president because other, the others would vote on a partisan basis. But what happened was the Republicans pulled a fast one in Illinois and they elected Davis to the Senate, right, as all this is going on. And Davis didn't really want to be on the Supreme Court. He wanted to be in the Senate. So he resigned and uh, a Republican of justice was put in his place. And therefore, the Republicans had a eight to seven majority on the Electoral Commission and by some fluke, all the disputed electoral votes were decided as having going to Hayes, the Republican, by an eight to seven vote. Um, that didn't end the whole problem, though, because you still needed both houses to sort of certify this. And the Democrats said they would refuse. And in the end, it was really settled by behind the scenes negotiations between uh, leaders of the two parties, the so-called bargain of 1877. Uh, where basically the Democrats said, all right, Hayes can become president. And the De Republicans said, all right, the Democrats will now be recognized as controlling the three disputed states. So all the southern states are now uh, under the control of the Democratic Party. And that's often seen as the end of Reconstruction as part of the bargain of 1877. Again, all outside the Constitution. Uh, did anyone uh, consider bringing in the army a military solution to this uh, deadlock? There was a lot of talk of civil war, march on Washington, Tilden or blood, things like this. Uh, this is 11 years, as you pointed out, since the end of the civil war, and people were not that uh, interested in having another war. Uh, so it was all political maneuvering, a lot of rhetoric. Uh, but... Um, you know, it, it established a kind of long period of Republican control of the White House, but Democratic control of the entire South. Uh, of and course, the, losers, the big of course, are black Americans whose constitutional rights were severely limited after this. And did anyone consider what is today's go to solution asking the Supreme Court 
to rule on which delegation to accept, which ballots should be counted, who should be president? Not really. Now, they did put five members of the court on the Electoral Commission, but the court as an institution was not held in high regard at that time. Uh, the Dred Scott decision from 1857 had completely discredited the Supreme Court in the eyes of Northerners and African-Americans throughout the country. So uh, nobody said, all right, let's just punt this to the Supreme Court, let them figure it out. So the solution was that the Republicans were given the presidency in exchange for an agreement to end Reconstruction in the three remaining Republican-controlled states of the South. What happened to the principle established in the 14th and 15th Amendments that the federal government would protect the fundamental rights of American citizens? Yeah, that went by the wayside. Uh, it, it not immediately, but over the course of the next generation, the uh, the effort or the idea of enforcing these rights in the South for blacks was pretty much abandoned by Northern uh, Republicans. Uh, it took a while. It wasn't the next day after Hayes was inaugurated. Uh, Hayes did, so, uh, people often said, well, Hayes removed the troops from the South. That's not quite right. What he did was say the troops who are remaining in the South, which wasn't very many, um, will no longer intervene in Southern politics. They will not affect, they will not deal with the problem of blacks. They, in fact, there were troops guarding the Republican claimants to the, to the governorship in those states. Hayes ordered them back to their barracks, not to leave the South, but just to stay out of Southern politics uh, from then on. Now, historians know that 1877 had a second major event, in addition to this so-called compromise that, that resolved the disputed election, there was a strike in 1877. Tell us about that. The Great Railroad Strike, the first national strike in American history. It spread across the Great uh, Trunk Railroads from the east to the west, even into the south. Um, it was eventually suppressed by troops sent in by President Hayes. Uh, that's when some troops were removed from the South. They was told to go from the South up to Pittsburgh and Chicago and St. Louis to help put down the Great Railroad Strike. And of course, many people saw this as maybe symbolic of a shift. Now that the slavery issue was over, the fundamental problem confronting the country was the battle between capital and labor, which took a very violent turn in the United States in the last quarter of the uh, 19th century. Troops were used to protect the rights of and, property, but not the rights of African-Americans. And remind us where the Republican Party stood in this change. Uh, most of them stood in favor of uh, suppressing the railroad strike. The Republican Party had evolved into a party dominated by well-to-do corporation uh, you know, officials. Most of Hayes' cabinet were railroad lawyers, people like that. Uh, there was still some of the old idealism around, but little by little, the Republicans became basically the party of northern big business. And did that make the Democrats de facto the party of the working man in the north? <laughs> Not 100 percent, let's put it that way. They were the party more of white supremacy, north and so, south, and, and also of, um, you know, of, of banking. They were, they were very tied into Wall Street, New York bankers. Republicans were more tied into manufacturing the the Industrial Revolution, which was going on at that time, uh, they backed a very high tariff to protect uh, industry, etc. But these issues were overshadowing by this point uh, the, the, the legacy of the Civil War and emancipation. 
Meanwhile, back in the southern states, what happened to black people? We, 1876 did not mark the end of all voting by black people. It took, it took a while. Right. No, there's a slow erosion of all these rights. Not 100% uh, at the moment. It's not until the 1890s, really, that a full, the full system of Jim Crow, as we call it, was imposed in the South, which included disfranchisement, that is, taking the constitutionally guaranteed right to vote away from black men, um, the, uh, you know, racial segregation, which, of course, the Supreme Court upheld as not a violation of the 14th Amendment, uh, as long as they were separate but equal um, lynching, widespread lynching in the South uh, from 1880 up through 1940 or even later, uh, collapse of black education in many Southern states, an entire system of white supremacy, not the same as slavery. Uh, slavery is its own system, but certainly nowhere near the aspiration for equality that black people had articulated uh, in the aftermath of the Civil War. And how important was violence in establishing this new regime in the South, starting with voting and politics, and then in the yeah, other there areas? Was, uh, every election in the South was violent. In every election in the South, there were efforts, violent efforts, to intimidate blacks, to make it difficult for them to vote, to suppress the black vote. In fact, in the 1890s, when the, when the southern states passed laws disenfranchising black voters, many people said, well, this is a reform. You know, this is actually a step forward because, you know, our elections are so violent and unfair, it, it makes us look bad. Now uh, we'll have a legal process of preventing black people from voting. We won't need to have mobs at the polls and all that kind of thing. A strange kind of reform. But, um, you know, but, but certainly... Uh, Politics in the South was nowhere near what you might consider a demo, you know, a small d democratic politics. And violence in the North was also a factor in these strikes, not just the army being moved out of the South and into Pittsburgh and Chicago and St. Louis, but the formation of these citizens' militias to fight the strikers. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, well, they did have citizens' militias, but the problem with citizen militias is they're citizens of the, lo of the locality. So, for example, yes, what happened in, in Pittsburgh, the militia refused to fire on the strikers, which meant that the railroad men had to bring in tr troops from Philadelphia who weren't part of the local community in order to suppress the, uh, the strikes. As long as you have a community-based uh, uh, you know, military force, it, they're not necessarily going to be that anxious to start shooting their neighbors. So you get a much more professionalized National Guard created in this uh, generation. Uh, you also get the building of these armories uh, in northern cities to, uh, so that there are guns available uh, if uh, troops are needed to put down strikes. You know, this was a very violent period of American history, not to mention the fact that there's the Indian Wars going on in the West at this time. And some of the troops taken out of the South are being sent West to fight Native Americans and uh, put, you know, push them onto reservations and everything. So now we need to talk about today. Uh, of course, we all remember that Trump told the Proud Boys to stand by we're talking about uh, violence in past elections. Clearly, he is contemplating bringing out violent young men organized in the present elections. What do you think? 
<laughs> I'm against it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's a lot of talk of that. I read in the New York Times today an article about, uh, I think, Erie County, Pennsylvania, Trump's stronghold, where people are arming themselves. It, 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 not for highly clear reasons, but the, because they think there's going to be some kind of uh, violent end to the election of 2020. Uh, there are certainly these armed uh, white supremacist groups, which the president encourages, you know, but even on a slightly less violent level, there's a long history of Republican operatives going to polls, trying to intimidate black voters. You know, uh, William Rehnquist, the ex-Chief uh, Justice of the Supreme Court, was involved in that sort of thing earlier in his career, trying to, you know, going up to people and telling them, you know, if you vote illegally, it's a felony, you'll be in jail for 20 years, and that ID doesn't look very good to me, you know, trying to get people just to stop and go home. So we'll see. Now, uh, the end result here might be disputed in the end, I don't know, <laughs> like 1876. Of course, in 1876, the, the dispute, despite all the violence, ended up in Congress with this Congress establishing this commission. Now it seems that the Trump administration will appeal to the Supreme Court. That seems to be the biggest difference. It's a little complicated. Now. In fact, it's, it's a lot complicated. It's so complicated that no one actually knows what, what might happen. In the 1880s, because of 1876, Congress passed a law to explain what needed to be done if there were disputes. But it's so convoluted that no one can even understand what is supposed to happen. What would happen today, for example, if the Republican-dominated uh, election board of Wisconsin says Trump carried Wisconsin, but the governor, the Democratic governor of Wisconsin says, no, he didn't, actually. Uh, the, the Republicans will throw out mail ballots and other ballots and say, look, Trump's got the vote and the, the, the governor will refuse to certify it. Both those things have to happen uh, for Congress to accept the electoral votes of Wisconsin. Um, and there could be lawsuits about the validity of absentee votes and, um, and, and um, mail ballots. You know, one of the things we forget is there have been many disputed elections in American history for the House of Representatives. In the 19th century, there were plenty of congressional hearings about who had won a congressional seat. The loser would charge fraud, would charge violence. Sometimes the apparent winner was thrown out in midterm and Congress decided the guy who lost actually won. So there was, but there is no procedure. That's determined by the House of Representatives. There is no procedure today about what to happen, what would happen if there were these disputed returns from different states. Uh, you know, the Constitution says the vice president will count the electoral votes. Some people say, well, then Pence can just decide for himself which votes uh, he'll take the Republican votes and count them. It's really uncharted waters here. Bush v. Gore was one small, I mean, it had big effects, but the one small issue, should the counting of votes, the recounting of votes in, uh, in Florida continue in some counties, but not in others? And the Supreme Court made up a new rule that there has to be sort of equality of county, you know, but that's not in the Constitution, the equal treatment to counties. And in fact, uh, Justice Scalia said very explicitly, no, the reason we're doing this is to make it clear that Bush, Bush's election ought to be respected by people so that Bush doesn't come in over a, under a cloud of illegitimacy 
Uh, that's not really the role of the Supreme Court to make sure the president looks good. Uh, but it could happen again. Uh, although, again, a lot of these are state issues. They're state uh, laws. They're state. Because remember, there's no national voting system in this country. Every state has its own rules about who can vote, how to register, who counts it, who sends it to Washington. So a lot of these things would be determined in state courts, and no one knows who, who, what's the composition of those courts. You'd have to study carefully to see. In other words, as in 1876, if there are disputes about who actually carried a state, there's no clear path forward, uh, at, at least from the constitutional point of view. There's no clear path forward. That's why we're hoping Biden will have a big enough vote to avoid a disputed outcome. Eric Foner, thanks for talking with us today. Great to talk to you, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Thank you.